0: This is the uh, it's called the end of the vassa the rains retreat and which means this is a kind of quite crucial period in a monastic life because it you almost count how many years you've been a monk or a nun by the number of rains retreats you've managed to get through <laughs> or survive <laughs> it's a fairly of full-on practice, because uh, actually, you know, made, the main thing about it is, is, you're actually living in one place. So, though, in in the time of the Buddha, this was something they only did for three months of the year, and the rest of the time, people would be off, kind of wandering on their own or in ones and twos people they got on with. And then, you, during the rains, you kind of have to stay put, so like monopoly, you know, when you Gonna go in jail until you throw a six <laughs> you're stuck there in this place for three months you see, which might not be with people you particularly like, or you know, you can't move around, you are got to be with it, so this is considered a kind of very intense time and also a time when actually, we live like this most of the time now, so you know, in Britain, we're kind of in this fixed situation, a lot more than three months. It's more or less most of the year. So this is really a, quite quite an incredible practice, quite an achievement. It puts a lot of pressure on, actually. So, you know, often people have quite some struggle with that, you know, because suddenly contained and um, checked and held in. You know, even if people are rather nice, and generous, and kind, and so on, and we're all quite comfortable, you know, in terms of our requisites, still, you know, one of the things that you do to a person when you punish them is put them in prison, (laughs) stop them moving around, (laughs) because it's something about the human condition, is, is that often we kind of discharge our frustrations, or boredom, or anxiety or restlessness by just shifting around doing this and doing that and going here and going there and kind of like fidgeting and it, in a way this is very much restricted when you stay in one place and uh, a lot of our life is quite monotonous in a way you know we have morning meditation evening meditation is more as a staple diet every day is that you start early you go on and we, have, and during the time, we also have retreats, which are in many ways incredibly monotonous. So monotonous, they get, they get passionately exciting because the amount of stuff it pushes up, that amount of monotony <laughs> you know, really puts a lot of pressure on, on the mind. The mind starts kind of spewing out all sorts of thoughts and memories and, and uh, energies. The body can go funny. It kind of for body energies go strange and so on. It's made it sound like a very nice thing to do. Um, but there's but, uh, also there is a result in it in that, that you be, the, the kind of skills you acquire in learning how to to handle that, you know to contain it skillfully, so you're not crushing yourself or forcing yourself just carefully. Corralling and steadying, calming, (coughs) soothing, letting go of of external distractions. There's a lot of skill in that. So your mind also gets quite, quite you know, supervising quality of the mind gets quite uh, strong. You know, you really are in touch with what's going on. You start to wake up a bit. Which maybe a lot of people don't have so much occasion to do because when you don't have a set of things that Set of norms and structures that keep checking you, then you you don't really have to. You can just kind of blow along, you know. In a way, you know you don't really. You can be supervising a lot of external things, like uh, you know where you're going and how much this costs and so forth. But and uh, what other people are doing, but you're not necessarily supervising the internal things, such as whether you're feeling clear or stressed or um, you know, some tension or nervousness and so on. And of course these internal qualities go uh, are the really important ones to supervise <laughs> because you know, this is what you've born and die with, this is really what you're is is, your, is what you you're living. This is the most crucial thing to supervise, is your own body, mind, feeling, memory energies impulses uh, moods shifts perceptions meanings values fears while you can supervise this lot is more important than supervising you know the weather or the cattle or the you know what's in the news things like that eventually you know because this is what yeah. This is what with, and everything else goes away. This is what you when you lie down to sleep at night. This is what you with when you when you on your own. This is what this is the kind of default you're going to go back to. And if you don't tidy up your own house, as it were, then doesn't matter what's happening. Where else you go, you carry your stuff with you. Kind of basic thing. So really, we undertake this sense of of containing just so we we get a chance to, to see what's really going on you know in terms of the, you've got kind of check control systems that keep giving you reflection on on in, you know if you're you know you want to do more or you want to do less you know you want to be active when it's time to sit or you want to sit when it's time to be active you want to be on your own when it's time to be with people and you want to be with people when it's time to be on your own <laughs> so you keep kind of checking all these things till so your mind gets really both very Clear at at really seeing what's happening, and also so you get a a lot of this witnessing consciousness, kind of witnessing, 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 supervising, and also, say, a lot of um, things more than witnessing. You've got to be a very uh, compassionate and uh, and good-hearted person to to bear with some of the internal weather that comes up, the moods and the despond and the excitements and passions and so forth so it's really like training a wild creature just kind, soothing it calming it, giving a little bit of space not too too much pressure on it so you get a lot of this this skill which is, if you like, the path developing skill is the path and then the results which is the most important bit actually for the start you have a very skillful mind, you kind of get that sense of oh, you develop a lot of skill, but also the mind itself becomes um, begins to lose some of its recklessness and its its habits its compulsions start to to get transformed yeah. so all that energy that's normally going out into this and that and the other actually when it's contained and, and massaged changes into another kind of, of energy, it's more like becomes just like radiance mm. it's a different quality so important thing to recognize is in the checking and the restraining we're actually we're not killing anything or crushing anything, you're just corralling it, steadying it, pulling it, gathering it in, pulling it together so that there's a kind of transmutation occurs mm. It's a different kind, of. it's a still, it's a strange, it's a still energy. It's like the difference between a, a river that's running and flowing and a light which is still, and yet its radiance shines everywhere. You can say it's both still and it's also p- pervasive. It suffuses everything, like one of these candles we have. It's, it's, so it's rather in mind becomes more like that, because there's a beautiful sense of steadiness to it, but there's also a gentle suffusive radiance that spreads around and goes a long way. You know, and the brighter it gets the further it gets and the brighter it gets brighter by dependent on how you've um, how you've gathered it in, how you've fastened it, how you've steadied it, how you've soothed it, how you've encouraged it, how you've relaxed it. And so, you, so it becomes you know you develop it that way. This is what we do as a fundamental you know theme is this supervising our impulses and will and mental activities. the mental is much more than is not not just thinking it's also emotional energies which are which is really the the big powerful um uh, thing that's is most difficult actually. And uh, the body energy, so mind also includes um, the kind of responses that 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 the body comes up with. So when you feel um, tense, for example, or you feel nervy or itchy, agitated, or you feel touchy, so you get kind of crabby and oversensitive, or you feel relaxed and mellow and grounded. You know, so you could say these express themselves through the body, but they are also, they're they're kind of almost a fundamental level of mind, expresses itself through the body, whether we feel at ease, at peace with ourselves, or we feel nervous on edge, is very much a bodily expression, isn't it? Uh, So, it affects you strongly. So there's a kind of uh, uh, an emotional reflexes that occur. So, so a lot of this training goes beyond, much beyond what we consciously uh, decide to do, to to also attain reactivity. So in a way, you can you use skills to check both conscious action but also to set up particular um, ways of, of checking reflex action you know, which is not necessarily so conscious hmm. and this when you kind of get to sense this whole training you realise this is what Rebroadens the practice out from med- from sitting still in meditation to a whole way of, of life, mm-hmm. and uh, this is um, where we have kind of what's called training in is over is summarised as dhamma and vinaya. Vinaya means kind of a, a deliberate training in, in the way that we operate, you know, the way we speak and physically act. It doesn't just mean particular rules, it means a whole understanding of, of cultivating the body, and cultivating the speech, cultivating relationships, uh, how we act, how we are in the world, how we are with each other. So this may, becomes a major area of training. So because this is where a lot of stuff just starts flying you know, reflexes and reactions start flying around at this particular level, and the way we do things—we blurt, or we we accuse, or we um, you know, just dismiss without even really knowing we do doing it. But these habits that just happen, yeah. You know, or we find ourselves kind of rushing around, crashing through things, uh, or being rather sloppy in what we do, just kind of dumping things around. So a lot of our training is just to be much superly really supervised. You know when you, um, and in a monastery particularly, you have a lot of this. The idea is a good monastery is a place where you've got quite a lot of this is built in. You have to, so things that stop you rushing around. Um, check check that. Uh, so one of the an Ajahn Chah as a kind of found, a founding teacher was very keen on on vinaya. He's saying that you know, even if you don't really study very much, or even don't meditate that much, he said. But if you practice the vinaya properly, then that will get you at least to the first stage of awakening. You know, kind of, where you really begin to see that? Even that is enough. You do that for five years or so. So it's considered it's esteemed very highly. Um, and it's not purely monastic rules. It's it's a way of really operating so that you you kind of supervise, use you, you use your life to supervise your actions. So for example, you have you know, you live generally everybody lives with some other people, one person or several people, or you've got other people in your life, and you start to see, well how do you actually relate to this person? Do you just kind of dismiss them or make fun of them or stereotype? You really listen to people. Try to be sympathetic, check these irritations that arise in the mind, if they do arise, just witness that rather than act upon it or get righteous, rather than judging people, rather than belittling people, rather than and so forth, you know, or or um, just trying to possess people and make them bend them to your will, you know, take over, dominate people. So there's a lot of this that kind of goes on more or less in, instinctively in the way that people operate, they do this. Uh, seem to be kind of quite fundamental uh, drives. Uh, so when you, you know, you just kind of try to, to look at how you, how you operate with other people, you start to take people granted, or, or stereotype people, oh, you know, that's her, or it's him, or he's one of those, or it's just old so-and-so, he's a nitwit, or, you know, the way we can just kind of, sign people off in a phrase and that's it, <laughs> end of story, boom. <laughs> and just consider if someone did, does that to you, how you'd feel about it. <laughs> you know, if someone doesn't actually have some sensitivity. So in this, we always try to give each other some respect. And respect is is not a matter of better or powerful or or kind of groveling. It's a matter of just saying, you know, realize your life is as valuable, is valuable to you, my life's valuable to me. I want to help you to live your life, to value your life, you know. So I don't, I don't want to kind of just push you aside or brush over you. I want to kind of give you that space to feel that you're, you're, you have some value, some meaning for me. You know, I you know, don't understand or, or agree with you. At least I can respect you. That's very important. And we try to cultivate that in, in uh, as a basic training. And of course, in communities of people, it's oftentimes we disagree, uh, feel a bit frustrated or annoyed with each other over just things that happen. And well still, you know, that's just that's just an event. That's just something that happens basically beneath that, you know, it's just another human being. Um Subject to suffering, like I am, suffering to disease, subject to disease, like I am, wishing for happiness like I do, um, you know um, innately as valuable as I am, you know nothing more about me than there is about any of you, so you know some sense of trying to really develop that sense and um so this is very important, you know. So in monastic life, we do this uh, quite formally in a way. You know, we we have seniority and we bow and we have particular kinds of language that we use to just try to hold this sense. And the important thing is, is not actually the outward forms of it, really, when you bow or use the language as so much as really trying to... Because you can use these, you know, carelessly, like everything else, it just becomes automatic behaviour. But to really use some of these things to just check, and and uh, you know, let go of the of the um, the carelessness or the heedlessness, because you begin to see that what happens more or less all the time with the mind is it 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 overflows. It's this overflowing quality whereby it colours everything according to its own wishes. So if I want something out of you, then I see you in a different way than if I don't want it. You. <laughs> you know, if you can uh, you know, how we can find people who have got some skills or talents that we rather envy, then we see them in a particular way. If somebody doesn't have skills or talents, think, oh, idiot, waste of time. Or somebody's, or somebody's old or sick, oh, you know, dismissed. Someone beautiful or attractive. Something very interesting or got a lot of intelligence or skill, suddenly we value it highly. The mind imparts these values yeah. but that's its own that's its own outflow overflows hmm. and really you know you can see that you're not just an object in my mind <laughs> it's not up to me to. To define how valuable you are, <laughs> when you're worthwhile or not, you are. You know, to, so so you can sense that in me which does that. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to follow that. I want to check that. And also, we do things that uh, we have ways of trying to just check our bodily behaviour, so we're not. Uh, you know, putting things away when you're finished with them, keeping, it, trying to minimize your possessions so you're less um, possessive, less cluttered. Um, and, uh, you know, trying to live simply. Because often people can't really supervise your own mind as so much if you're going to supervise a whole load of other stuff as well. So you try to keep it simple, simple, simple. You know, it may not be as quick or as convenient, but we sacrifice that because the simplicity, it means I can be more in touch with the main point of my life, which is what's happening in my own mind. And this, this, in this society, this is quite a challenge to do this, actually, because everything is pushing towards getting you out there, you know, to do more. So even in retreats, just actually just switching off the emails for a week is like a kind of fairly major challenge. <laughs> in a monastery, you know, oh, emails, do <laughs> this, that, the other this important business things coming in, which yeah, they're important, and yet you think, well, wait a minute, you know, uh, isn't isn't nirvana important? <laughs> isn't supervising your own mind important? It's funny how we can always find ourselves believing in the messages of the of the of external circumstances to be more important than the messages of our own heart and mind you know. so we try to check that actually limit it you know, just as a discipline uh, and uh, I mean when, uh, when Ajahn Chah when he built Ba Pong he tried to Build the path so there'd be obstacles, there'd be paths with roots, big tree roots sticking up, or big stones in the middle, so people could just couldn't come rushing in. They've got to slow down and stop or move around. You can't just kind of gallop in, you've got to actually sort of be checked and held back. And this again is something that means the mind instead sort of rushing ahead of where you're at, you've got to actually be where your body is. And we made a uh, when I lived at Amrawaddy, there's a lot more buildings there, so there's a lot more doors. We had a whole door practice. Um, for years we had this door practice. Because people would generally go, just go through a door and go, Phew, throw the door open and just keep going. You know, and the door go crash behind them. So you, you're sitting somewhere and you hear this crash. And then, bruh, bruh. Somebody rap the door and then, bruh, bruh, crash as it comes behind <laughs> Crash, you know. So, we had this uh, practice of just first of all saying to people, Well, remember to close the door behind you, just close it quietly, open it quietly, close it quietly. It doesn't take more than maybe you know, three or four more seconds to do it that way. You know, three seconds, maybe five seconds. Is that you know, five seconds? (laughs) So, but uh, the instinct is so much that, that even when people were told this repeatedly, still couldn't stop it. Then we used to have signs on the door saying, "This is a door," you know, <laughs> trying to remind people. Still, people would just see the sign, okay, and crash straight through it. Eventually, somebody started drawing pictures, you know, uh, on the doors. Like right? uh, there was one of did a picture of a. People used to kind of tramp, run up and down this corridor in the monastery. At Amrawadi, which wasn't the corridor, was actually wooden floor, sprung wooden floor. Sort of, so it wasn't actually in, properly embedded. It was a, it was a kind of wooden floor over a couple of, over some a line of concrete uh, piles. So the floor actually didn't touch, didn't really hit the ground. So when you tramped on the floor, the floor would bounce up and down. So people people go running down this corridor, and the floor would go bongo, 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 bongo. <laughs> And if you're in one of the rooms on the corridor, you'd hear this continual stampeding. And uh, uh, if you're lying down, sometimes your head would bounce up and down <laughs> because the train running on down the corridor. <laughs> so when you're living in this, in this place for months, years on end, and you're living on this corridor, this would be a major practice just, just to abide on this corridor. And uh, so somebody's dra- drawing pictures of elephants, no, hanging, sorry, hanging them down from the ceiling. Pictures of drawings of elephants in, in um ballet ballet costume with to try to get people to just kind of just walk more gently, you know, down down the corridor. Uh, I lived right next to uh a place where there was a sink with a kettle in it, you see. My room was there, so you'd hear this people would come down the corridor, boom, 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 and then there's this <laughs> taps would go on and crash, bang, bang, and people were making tea. And then that would stop, and the next person would come down. So I used to call it the elephant's watering hole. The elephant's come down the corridor, go to the watering hole, and it's got a trumpeting noises of glee. There's <laughs> actually a way of handling it, because then I, was, I used to imagine I was living in a wildlife park with these elephants running along, and... and Try to enjoy it <laughs> because actually the case was that even with all the signs and the encouragements, somehow people still couldn't you know cut stop the reflex you know they've got to actually put was well, physical barricades in in the uh in the way <laughs> that's how it goes, <laughs> and so it's uh you know, it's, it's, you going to see just what one's what one's up against in terms of instinct. You know, you really see to sort of just build in some some um, some things in in one's daily life. Certainly, resolutions help, but uh, actually, kind of um, you know, deliberately putting things aside for a day putting things out of reach for a day. It's how you break addictive habits. Because these flows of the mind are a way of, you know, they're they're, they're like the fundamental addictions called asawa, overflows. The mind overflows. It overflows because its uh, we get the sense of something to touch or taste or eat or drink that would really Feel really good right now. Really satisfying. Nice hot steamy cup of tea or a, whatever it is, uh, you know. And so when that gets when that little message hits the hits the cerebral cortex, then uh, things start going, you know. And we and it feels so and to operate, you know, to move along that that passage, then I mean, it rushes us down that. Yeah. It's really helpful in monastic life when you can't you can't um, have food and drinks any old time of day. You've got to check that. You've got to wit- watch that. And so sometimes when the times when you do get it, the mind can actually just go absolutely crazy. <laughs> you know, you've kind of held it in to this this uh, narrow. Um, Kind of container, and then it's got its one chance to get out, uh, and it can really—does you feel the, pat, the push of it? Uh, I remember I, when I was uh, when I first became a monk. Uh, I was pretty much just in this—not just in one monastery, but also just in one hut for three years. I didn't. I think we'd go out one one time a day for a bindabhad, for arms round, and then we'd come back, and I'd just be in this hut all day, and we'd get hot in the hut. It's quite a small hut, and there was nobody to talk to, nothing, no work to do, nothing to go to. It was just there in this little hut. So there was a tremendous kind of pressure. And the one thing that would happen was the meal would come. Somebody would bring along a plate of food, or kind of these little dishes of food, rice and some curries. That? It was pretty... Not great food, but it was food. And before I become a monk, I really didn't have much, wasn't bothered about food at all, actually. You know, I sometimes not eat very much. or just have a sandwich or two because I'll be smoking cigarettes and listening to music and boogieing around generally. So food is just not really a big item on the agenda at all. All the outflows could flow out into something else. But then when you've contained it all, this is the one outflow. And um, almost every day there'll be this time when I knew the food was going to come. Or hope it would come. Some, once or twice it didn't come. They forgot to bring it. Sitting there and you think, maybe today they'll forget. Maybe today they'll forget. And then it would be these little summoneras who were sort of young, young well lads, you know, who didn't look they didn't look very mindful. They're pretty scatty, and little twelve year old boys, thirteen year old boys who were kind of running around, kidding, joking with each other, and uh, and it was up to them to bring the food. Oh my goodness! I mean, the you know, <laughs> I mean, the power of these twelve year old boys <laughs> were they going to feed me or not? So sometimes they, they'd forget, and then then you be looking out, trying to not look too bothered. You know, I'd be looking out the window, trying to not not too bothered about this. And you notice they'd bring some food to this cootie, and go, I wonder if my one's coming. And you think, a little swine, he's forgotten it. <laughs> you build up quite an amount of of tension around it. And then they'd finally turn up and think, Oh, the little angel he's brought me some food. <laughs> Suddenly <it> changed. <laughs> and uh, you receive the food. It might be a bit late or something. I and mean, you get quite quite agitated. And uh I to mean, get this food. I mean I just get through that food. <laughs> I mean I hardly notice it had arrived. It just gone down. It was blur. Like a dog, you know, when you put food down for a dog. It was like that, just Before <laughs> I knew it there was this kind of empty bowl. I think, what happened to that? It's gone. And yeah, I realised I could have some and then I'll be tasted even. You know, that's the power of the of this kind of outflow, this overflow, just this propulsion into into some sort of gratification. When one's sitting on one's own. Uh, nothing much to do. Gratification is pretty near zero. (laughs) And my meditation wasn't that that sublime. It was just a struggle. Trying to get the mind to focus. It was a bit too too much, actually, a bit beyond what I could manage. That kind of quality of intensity. But anyway. So this really cooked up, this particular overflow. And... uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's just food. I didn't have any kind of sexual inclination uh, uh, quite a while. Actually, it was a bit too refined, <laughs> and uh, you know. So, but this, I remember one time I actually knocked. I was in such a hurry to get this food that I, I kind of knocked it over on the floor. Before, anyways, I actually mopped this food off the floor with a cloth and wrung it out. I was so determined I was not going to let it go. I actually got a, an old rag, soaked the food up in the rag, and wrung it out into a bowl so <laughs> I could eat the stuff. <laughs> and it wasn't that great. <laughs> it gets that. And you watch yourself doing this, you think, oh My God, I'm becoming an animal. Yeah. So you know, you get to kind of witness the power of these this these outflows and um, what's what's subtler but actually sort of more pervasive is this and because because when you get this going it really makes it feel like if you just follow this you'll feel so good and if you've just if you just kind of reduce the 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 amount of things you 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 take hold of you know to just a few things then the intensity builds up if it's spread over 20 different things you don't hardly notice it but you start whittling them down and say well just today go without reading the papers go without um, listening to the radio don't watch telly just for one day you know and then maybe just have um, you know one meal or something you know see what happens (laughs) Uh, you know, the kind of intensity that can build up around around kinds of sense objects, and just to know how to to um, to practice with that, because there's nothing wrong with food in itself. It's, we're not denying the need or the value or usefulness of food, but still you're holding it at a certain distance so you can witness the kind of pushing. Which is unnecessary, really. Yeah. You don't need to have that kind of that pushing of the mind. Because you know, it's not going to go into it. it's going to go into your body, not into your mind. Mm. And you learn quite a few things that way. About how how the mind feels so pushed towards it. And yet once you've got it the whole thing is just gone, you know. It's like once you've actually gratified that, the, the amount of satisfaction is minimal, and the whole issue has is just dis- disappeared. It wasn't the great thing that you expected it to be. The other form of overflow is 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 that which imagines we could be at some 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 satisfactory state. You know where say our life is is sorted out in one way or another, or uh, the people we you know it could be in our terms of our relationships, it's totally sorted, there's no edges there's no challenges, there's no conflicts, everything's just really soothed out and eased out, there's never any disagreements everything's just sweet and so on and um Or that what we're doing, our job, our vocation is just completely flowing along, satisfactorily, you've got the right thing to do, or you're living in the right place, or, you know, however you conceive it. And of course this is very much what we, something gets us going into meditation for that. Well, you know, maybe it's in here I could get to the right state where everything would be really fine and I'd be just chilled out or relaxed or blissful. Mm. And uh, it doesn't, you know, they are going push towards that. It doesn't actually happen. And you feel so disappointed that something else has gone, something else has gone, something else has gone wrong. You know? And, you know, I think particularly what we learn in, in monasteries is that uh, it's always like this. It's always something good happening and it's like breaking down or something are we going wrong or some disagreements or somehow we're not quite getting on the way we should do or things aren't working out exactly right, you know, all kinds of things, you know, in terms of either we're financially going down or people's health is up and down or people having difficulties with each other or whatever, you know, and you think, oh, I'm going to get this all settled out to get, get it steadied out, and it never does. So, one can feel kind of disappointed, I've spent so much time doing this, it's all a waste of time, it's never going to get this way or the other. Uh, but then really, it's just uh, recognising that the, you know, whoever told you it was going to be <laughs> that satisfactory and uh you begin to witness how the mind's push and expectation is what creates the, makes a problem out of this and if we begin to to come out of the that that expectation and that uh dream because it is a dream, it's something that means we don't really have to be so attentive anymore because everything is just sort of settled out and satisfied and comfortable, and we're stable but no you don't you aren't stable you've got to keep supervising all the waverings and the, and the you know, the movements. And it's actually, that's keeps doing that. But what does happen is that the, that which does the supervising becomes very stable. Yeah. So it's like you're witnessing consciousness becomes a very spacious, um, open, um, steady, Calm, calming it adds calm it doesn't grab calm but actually brings calm, gives calm, gives relief, gives encouragement so that becomes a very stable um, resource and you develop it through continually attending to that which is unstable. And so it's a kind of it's a shift you know whereas rather than just following the propulsion, of the mind to have what we want and get things sorted out and have things steady. On an external level, we say, well, I just supervise all the ups and downs and be more you know, uh, calm with all that. And so this is kind of ma- major training in terms of, of how we live. I don't think this is something that's foreign to anybody's life, everybody's life is about this. In monastic life, perhaps we just make it more conscious, you know. And we define it as that much, you know, and So this is a practice; it's not just a, a, a job or a career or something. This is this is a practice in its own right to be with this. And so, when you're in a place for a three months or a year or five years or many years, then this becomes a kind of major. Major theme of practice is to kind of be with all the wavering's and the changings and the uncompleted, and uh, develop skill around it. So you know the 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 really. Uh, Refined point of it all is uh, the way we work. Obviously, we try to set things up in the external realm to encourage this. So we have lots of kind of resolutions to to be with the way it is, to to not leave, to not give up on each other, to not um, you know take what isn't given, to to keep within the within that kind of sense of restraint, which is. You know, important and sort of thing that human beings don't don't really like to do very much, and yet you know you restrain for a particular purpose to strengthen the supervise the witnessing capacity, to and to live harmoniously. And if we all do this, then there's a sense of uh, there's more space for all of us. Nobody's taking over. Everybody's following a particular pattern. That means it's a sense of. you know, there's no jealousies and, and competitions and nobody's getting more or less than anybody else. So there's a harmonizing effect there. And you can, but uh, really the, the final point of it is you, you begin to see how... the whole crux of it is just in looking at a particular piece of mental behavior, which is what all these overflows work around. And it's this kind of, what's called Papancha, which means a kind of projections and proliferations and diffusions where the quality of of, um, present awareness, if you like, the witnessing quality that you begin to get a sense of, uh, gets lost. And instead of a stillness, like a light, the radiance that suffuses things, the mind becomes a, a raging flood again. It moves out. And it moves out into the future, expectations of the future. It moves out into possibilities and alternatives. It should be this way, and it could be this way, and it ought to be like that. And But it wasn't, you know, it goes into speculative stuff. It goes into... Um, um, what we call... Uh, Manifold, all sort of diversity, diversities of possibilities, of what we, you know, possible things we could be doing. It goes into projections around other people, what other people are like, what they're doing, how we get affected by other people. So we can, the mind goes out, and you know, this person is like this, this person is like that. They're upsetting me. They're bothering me. She's like this, and he never does that on time, and I'm fed up with being when he's kind of, blah, 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 blah. which is always sounds quite reasonable, but you begin to see, you know, is your is your life, your mind, your is that actually completely tethered to what everybody else is doing? You know, that's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> if your mind is continually linked to what everybody else is doing, because it's it's always going to be. Sh- Juggling around, isn't it? You know, it's always going to be going up and down, and sometimes people will be doing things you like, and sometimes they'll be doing things you don't like. So you'll be getting either the sense of oh great, 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 and oh no, no, no. So you get these emotional upheavals because you get one gets caught up with the uh, dispositions and activities, uh, good and bad, of other people. So what's happening is that the mind is kind of moving out to to stabilize itself, or to find itself, or to feed itself upon things you can't actually depend upon. The future, you know, where's that going to go? The possibles, I mean, once you start to think of what's possible and ought to and could be, your mind can just... Need never stop, <laughs> and yet somehow we've, we, these are very, these are actually these outflows are enormously seductive, because when, when you're in one, it seems so real, and like you know you can get, um, it's very convincing because people really ought to be this way, surely, they should be like this, shouldn't they? It shouldn't be like, it should be like this, shouldn't it, really? You know, (laughs) one can feel completely convinced by that. And, uh, you know. But where does it take you? Hmm? To mixed results, ups and downs, disappointments. Enthusiasms, losses, so forth. You could get tangled up with what other people are doing. And uh, is that... Mm. Or what the, what's happening in the world? Prolif- this is what's called proliferation or projection. The mind, the way it just goes out and gets tangled and there's a loss of loss of stability and it's a powerful powerful flow because of course as a on one level as a sentient creature then we're instinctively bound up with our environment like a rabbit or a badger is you know they've got to know what's going on around them and their life depends upon it so we're very much in that same kind of situation but even more so, because more than just physically bound up, we're also psychologically bound up. I'm sure badgers don't care what other badgers think about them. <laughs> or whether hedgehogs have got more rights than they have. You know, because they build little runways under motorways for hedgehogs, don't they? But badgers, if you're a badger, you get gassed. So, what's the big deal about being a hedgehog? How come they've got a better deal than badgers have? But I'm sure badgers don't bother with that. But for the human beings, we certainly would. So we're all goes psychologically bound as well. And uh, this is, of course, where, where, you know, you've actually got to almost go against the, the stream, check the stream. And it's a very powerful one to to check, very difficult to check. But you just kind of, you know, begin to reflect upon it and know that all you can really, really eventually have some say of is what you do, what you think, and maybe what comes forth from your heart, whether your own heart can be steady, compassionate, Honest, truthful—that's that's what you could possibly do. Whether what everybody else can do, you've got some say on maybe, but you know, not as much. And if you, as if you of your own mind, if you can't do it to your own mind, there's no way you can do it to anybody else's. So this is really the home base. You just kind of keep pulling it back to check. Can I be at peace with people who are not particularly pleasant? Can I be warm-hearted to people who are frosty or indifferent? You know, can I feel unoffended by people who are being unpleasant? so forth. You know, and essentially, this is, uh, means that we're, we're not trying to kind of come up with another set of emotions, but just the cheap pulling the mind back. Checking the mind, checking the mind, pulling it back, pulling it back. You don't have to go out. You don't have to pick that up. Uh, and there's a kind of break in this is cause and effect. You know, you receive some particular effect and you get the kind of impulse to react. And if you're bringing your attention there, your mindfulness there, you can actually check before that reaction occurs. You know, that's the point of all the rest of the training is to get the leverage point between effect and the next cause, between receiving the speech or the sound or the sight and then the reaction is, wait, check. And then that's the point when you can witness this kind of push come up in your mind to fight back or to whatever, you know, dismiss or grab or... And just at that particular point, you just go into witnessing. You know, rather than so, you just, this is why I develop the witness? You witness that arising and then just relax. And the thing comes up, it, it breaks and it breaks open. And there's a kind of shift of energy. And this is called cessation, when one of these, these tendencies that we experience, is reactions and reflexes. Arise, and you're caught with mindfulness, and uh, held with dispassion, and then they, they open, they break open, and there's a there's a release. Yeah. It's called the truth of cessation. The mind goes to cessation rather than to reaction or repression. Yeah, it just it just stops. Yeah. So the, you know, the energy of the mind instead of going down one of these familiar uh, pathways of of uh, reverberation and repercussion, it just it you know that it just goes into a steady state of witnessing and mm-hmm. it, you know, and of course this is something we try to do, you know, try to cultivate you know, just getting to those points. You know, losing the, the uh, or you know, losing the sense of, of feeling, you know, of ignoring our responses or, or feeling disappointed about our responses, but just witnessing our responses and trying to get to the point where they can cease, where they can be seen, witnessed, and allowed to cease. And this is where, of course, it is very much the same as uh, what meditation is about. Meditation, you're doing this kind of in solitude, sitting still, just by checking the mind, restraining within a particular meditation theme say let's just be with the body rather than with this and that and this and that just be with the body and then come into the breathing for example particular meditation theme and then the mind jigs around and just checking it and then soothing it and even using the breathing the quality of the tonality of the breathing, the softness the effortlessness of it you know the releasing of it the the energies that move along with breathing as something that has an effect on the mind it starts to soothe the mind yeah but that that tranquility is not the tranquil that's not the tranquility of, of ceasing that's just the tranquility that that softens the mind because the ceasing is is really in recognizing yeah you know, the, uh, the the pushes, the impulses that come up and bringing that quality of attention to bear upon it. It's kind of considered to be a very um, crucial realization in terms of practice to understand cessation is, is, is blissful rather than kind of repressive or crushed or something, nothing happens. Cessation is a sense of the the energy shifts from being a kind of running on, running around energy to a steady state, where it just becomes suffusive, like a gentle quality to it, because it it transforms. Because it begins to transform your whole attitude towards towards life. You know, you realise that the best bits are the bits where things start stopping. <laughs> you know, the thing, the best, the most useful things are. to to develop are the kind of qualities that that contain check, steady, calm, soothe the mind that take you inward rather than the the qualities that help you to to run out better. So you just kind of get some of that, you begin to get some sense of that, the real um, beauty and uh, brilliance of the mind comes through cessation rather than through all the activities it can do. This is really transformative. So this is, my, this is what we're kind of practicing here. This is my, I think, 30, 31st Rains Retreat. There's 31 more than I thought I'd do. <laughs> I thought I'd do this for about a week or two and then go and do something more useful. I never really could figure out anything more useful to do. <laughs> I could begin to see after a while that most of my ideas were just restlessness or, or some form of, of, uh, of just wanting to get out and run around. uh, well I can't follow that I'll just wait until something more meaningful arises and (laughs) here I am (laughs) so I'm really actually tremendously uh, grateful for the results changing my life around because it wasn't something I particularly you know, I was living a fairly sensual, hedonistic life, uh, and yet somehow I kind of got the point of this quite quickly. Of well, I could do it, at least I could get the sense of it. You know, I could see, could get the sense of this is really about uh, about releasing, letting go, because that's where you get the mind really comes out of its narrow labyrinth into something really quite vast and beautiful, and luminous. And I can kind of get glimpses of that. Yeah. And so over the years, it's really you know, trying to you know, bring that insight to bear upon all of the things we, we live with in our life, you know, which is the, the uh, ups and downs, the complexities of, of situations and communities, and, and not just in one community this one but also several monasteries so there's always plenty of things to be you know issues and difficulties and so forth going on and my mind can very easily spin out you know with it all because it's all necessarily and important and got to fix and all urgent and oh my goodness and we better sort that out and he's having a bad time and this and that and the other what we can do about this country or that country and think, oh god I didn't Commit now I didn't come here to do this, I just come here to be peaceful. I just want to watch my breath, I don't want to be bothered with all these silly things people just wait a minute. <laughs> just just check check that that proliferation, you know. It, it's not about following it, it's not about aversion, it's just checking the mind's tendency to do either of those. Right now here, just how to steady the mind, then from a steady mind, when the mind is steady, we'll see what we can do from there, what comes out from that, that's the best that can happen, that's all that can really happen, that's of value, the rest of it is just running around labyrinths, looking for a way out, and you get tired of it. Yet, uh, out of all this, we have, uh, you know, certainly when we first came to Chithurst those years ago, the, we had just no idea of developing anything particular. The idea was just to live in a little house in the country and do our daily thing. And yet, gradually, just because of that, you know, the practice has its own effects. This rather lovely place has developed out of that practice and out of what it encourages. The, uh gladness, the inspiration the the sense of uh, an occasion to, that you know can be shared because this is a practice that can be shared it's not just purely you know it's not just purely for a few monks or nuns it's actually a practice you can, you can get the the feeling for it what what needs to be done to to set up these some checks on your life to keep aren't making you question what you're doing what's happening what's skillful and unskillful to develop that sense of a supervising mind that is not just judgmental but also compassionate and caring say what really is going to be welfare and even if some of this stuff you know that you put checks in that really are a bit difficult but you're doing it like you would train a wild creature just it needs to be held in for your own welfare, uh, and then making that something that you you really honour and stabilise as this your, is your dharma practice, and from that uh, you can realise cessation, and the ending of of proliferations and running on. You can realise the beauty of stillness. It's not it's not that far away, and also try to avoid proliferating about it. <laughs> how much you've got, and who's got more than you have, and so, it's just, you know, it's very, it's very immediate, and it's, uh, it's what your life is about, what your life can bring you to, of ultimate value, so i offer this for your reflection.